Hey everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. I wonder if you have, um, you've been out of the country ever Many of you have passports. And you know what it's like when you come back to the United States and you step on this soil and um, you feel kind of relieved that you're back, you made it. You come up to customs and they ask for your passport. They look at your passport. These days they ask you to pull your mask down so they can see your face. They say, yep, looks like you. They give you the stamp. And the agent typically says something like, welcome home, welcome back, glad to have you back. You know, there is no place like home. That's the title of the message this morning, there's no place like home, but home means different things to different people. When I think about home, I may think about one thing and you may think about something entirely different. Home is often thought of as, as first as a place, a place we go to. Where's your home? My home is wherever it is. That's a place. But home is, is also connected with people. Home is home because of those who we share it with. A house beside the road doesn't necessarily become a, a home unless there are people in it. And the people that are in it are the people we share that space with. Home stirs in us a sense of longing, sometimes for the home we have and sometimes for the home we wish we had. Home is a place that grounds us, where we find ourselves at rest, where we, uh, unless you're a young mom, maybe you go somewhere else to find rest. But home is where we are reminded of who we are and more importantly, whose we are. At its best, I believe home conveys a sense of well-being, of contentment, and belonging. Like, I belong here. This is my place. These are my people. Well, home is a culture that we have been building here at Restore. And it's not just my vision, but it is our vision collectively. And that means every one of us is responsible to ensure that 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now, Restore Church at the corner of 5th and Madison wasn't just a flash in the pan. It wasn't just something that came and went with no impact whatsoever. No, we want to be known as a tribe of people who aligned themselves with Jesus and made a difference in the community for good. We turned our worlds upside down for the purposes of Jesus. Now many of you, many of you are probably in the process of figuring out what's your home going to be like? What's your home gonna be like? Many of you are just starting out and you're asking really good questions. And sometimes we ask the question of, are we gonna have kids or are we not gonna have kids? And often we hear this question being, being raised, like why would anyone bring kids into this chaotic, upside down world? It's a legit question. 
But here's the thing. Love is our greatest asset. And around here, we're on mission to see that every man, woman, boy, girl, every image bearer of God is infused with the Spirit of God to walk in step with Him, to live in the knowledge of the significance of His call on our lives. So be fruitful and multiply. That's what the scripture says. And that's what I'm encouraging for us. Man, if you've been here very long, you know that uh, this is one of the few weekends recently that we haven't announced a new baby. But there are more coming. There are more babies being born. And I would just encourage you that we, it is a temptation and it is a formidable task to raise up kids in this generation, but it is worth it. It is worth it. When we raise up little agents of change, when we raise up children that we are blessing to go into the world and make a difference for the kingdom, there's nothing better than that. There's nothing better than that. So be fruitful and multiply. Be the best parents you can possibly be. Get the help you need. And by the way, next, uh, in two weeks, we're starting a brand new series called Parenting and Other Scary Stories. And we're gonna take four weeks and we're gonna be looking at what does it mean to be great parents? What does it mean to be godly parents? What does it mean to raise up kids in today's world? And on May 21st, mark your calendars, May 21st, there'll be a parenting upgrade seminar on a Saturday morning, and you'll want to step into that if you're uh, trying to uh, corral the kids at any given time and raise them up to follow Jesus. See, we can be parents and we can just be uh, stepping back and sort of let the kids raise themselves, but I'm, I'm asking you this morning, let's not be mediocre about parenting. Let's not be mediocre about our lives. Let's not be mediocre about our followership of Jesus. And if we're not mediocre, we have to have a plan and we have to know what our purpose is. I wonder if you're working the plan this morning. Are you being the best you can possibly be? Let's encourage each other this morning to live with purpose, live with authenticity. Don't lie. Trust the truth as revealed in Jesus. And what you'll do in that process, if you'll in, internalize this word, you will set a trajectory, a powerful trajectory for the generations that will come after you. That will be an invitation for the generations to come home to Jesus. So I want to talk to you about home today. Because if you've been tracking with us during this seven series, you know that ultimately, Jesus is going to die. He's going to die. His body will place, be placed in a temporary home, like a burial plot, a borrowed tomb. But in the meantime, as we look at the church calendar, we recognize that today is Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week. It's the day when Jesus, in order to fulfill the purpose of his coming, makes his way home back to the center of the Jewish universe, back to Jerusalem, the place the Jews called home. As Jesus makes his way toward his Via Della Rosa, the, which means the sorrowful road, it was the, what would be the old route through Jerusalem. It was, it was toward his death. He goes with the plan. He goes with purpose. And he's aware of what is before him on the home stretch. Yet he moves forward. 
joining thousands of others in their annual pilgrimage to this city for the Passover festival. The prophet Zechariah in the Old Testament in chapter 9 says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous. He is victorious. Yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Megan asked us earlier to visualize what it might have been like to be standing along the road as Jesus walks in on this donkey. See, the people wanted empire. They wanted a new kingdom. They wanted a king, an earthly king, that would eliminate this bondage they had to the Roman people of that day. The Romans had come and had taken them into captivity. They wanted an earthly king. And so as they are uh, watching Jesus ride in, they had to be confused because in those days, a conquering king, a war, a war king would ride in on a stallion. He wouldn't come in on a donkey. A donkey is a symbol of peace. And here comes Jesus riding in on a donkey, quite the the different perspective than riding in on a stallion on a war horse. But the people are lined up and they know Jesus. They know what he has done. They know they want more of him. They want him to set up his earthly kingdom. And so they're waving their palm branches which are, which are waved for the honor of a conquering king, a warring king. They're waving their palm branches and they're giving him a red carpet welcome on this this. this uh, Palm Sunday as he makes his way into Jerusalem. But by Friday, they were trading him for a common criminal and demanding his death by crucifixion. How quickly we move from honor to condemnation. How quickly we move from allegiance to one thing and within a week, we're calling for that person that earthly king that we were hoping would raise up. He is no longer the earthly king. We're actually now asking for his crucifixion. Author Jonathan Martin writes these words. As he's picturing Jesus coming into Jerusalem on this toward the Passover festival, he says, but love, indicating Jesus is love, but love does not protect himself from spears or spit or sword. Rods and whips and nature itself will have their way with him. Nails driving into dirty olive skin like an animal. His body will be bent and twisted like a ragdoll, a puppet. Still, he rides into Jerusalem vulnerable. He keeps coming the way always, love always does, defenseless. See, Jesus, he came in peace. But all he got in return was the violence of the cross. Whenever Jesus doesn't capitulate to the image that we have of him, if he, doesn't, if he doesn't become who we have imagined him to be, humanity rebels in that moment. And at its worst, it kills the king who refuses to capitulate to our demands. And so this morning, as we consider the Via Della Rosa, Jesus walking the sorrowful way toward his death. We return to the place of the skull, Golgotha, 
the place called Calvary, where Jesus spoke his final words, his seven sayings from the cross. Seven is the perfect number, and Jesus is our perfect redeemer. Seven words to represent both his humanity and his divinity. And today, we look at the words from the cross, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. As we looked at his words from the cross, we've left him in the darkness. And I read now from Luke 23. By this time, it was about noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. He was nailed to the cross at nine in the morning and at 12 noon, three hours in, darkness in the middle of the day. Darkness pressing in, divine judgment on Jesus as he hangs there on the cross, suffering for the sins of humanity. And as he hangs there from 12 until three, scripture tells us that, that the light from the sun was gone and suddenly the curtain tore in the sanctuary. The curtain separating the holy and holies from the people. The curtain that separated the holy and holies from all but the priest once a year moving back in behind the holy of holies to make a sacrifice. It's believed the curtain is about... Well, it's the width of a man's hand, so let's just say it's four inches, four inches thick. That curtain was 60 feet tall. So I came in here and I measured from the peak to the floor. We only have about 25 feet, which puts it into perspective. A curtain 25 feet tall would be pretty tall. 60 feet tall, this was no this, was, this wasn't just a, a thin veil. This was an incredible act, supernatural act, this tearing of the temple curtain. Scripture says that suddenly, which like immediately, it wasn't eventually, it was suddenly and immediately. And what else happened during that suddenly and immediately was that an earthquake happened and and a zombie apocalypse happened in that moment. It's like dead people came out of the graves and people saw them in the, the towns surrounding them. Weird stuff. Like, this is not normal. And neither was the splitting of the, the, the curtain in the temple. And you might ask, if you're familiar with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you might ask, say, well, they're not all giving us this account of the temple curtain. And you're right, they aren't. Um, let me just remind us that the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew was written primarily to the Jews. Mark wrote to the Romans, Luke to the Greeks, and John to everybody. And so it's like a, a wide angle camera shot. And sometimes it's wide angle, other times it's zeroed in on specific things that happened in the gospels. What happened for us? when that curtain tore. We got access 
we got access. Before this happened, you and I, most of us are Gentiles in this house. There's not many of us that are from Jewish background. Not many of us have Jewish blood flowing through us. Gentiles were even more separated than the Jewish people were from the Holy of Holies. Today, you and I have access. Not just because the curtain tore, but it's symbolic of the access that we now have. Because we have it for all time, and it's for all people. Because in that moment, when suddenly the, the, the temple curtain tore, and suddenly we gave, got access. It was like Almighty God was saying that out of that secret place, okay, enough is enough. Enough is enough. We're not gonna have any more priests except Jesus himself. He is our high priest. Remember last week we talked about Jesus being our advocate. He is our advocate. He stands in for us. He is our advocate. No one, no other priest but Jesus now. No more blood but his blood. The concept of shedding blood for the redemption of sin for our salvation is so far removed from our daily experience of life that it is difficult at times to wrap our head around the significance of this moment. The Passover moment, the, the annual feast of, uh, festival of Passover. Can you imagine Maybe like close to 20,000 spotless, perfect lambs being brought to one place by those of Jewish descent that were coming for the Passover festival, carrying their perfect, unblemished lambs, upwards of 20,000 being slaughtered within a very specific time period. This is what Jesus came to stop. No more. No more slaughter of lambs, no more sacrifices, but this one perfect lamb of God hung on the cross one time for all people. The cross of Christ is the end of this ritual sacrifice. It's at the cross of Christ that the systems of the world and its violence are condemned. And it's at the cross that the world at last might be saved by the love of God. The words of Jesus from the cross, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. This was a shout of victory. The Bible doesn't say he kind of murmured into, uh, into your hands, I commit my spirit. It doesn't say he whispered. Let me remind you, Jesus is on the cross. By now, it's probably about six hours at least. And he has to take a deep breath. And his ripped flesh on his back is once again torn as he raises himself up so he can catch a breath to shout in that moment. It's crazy to think that in that moment he is actually taking in enough air to shout 
Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. Jesus was a victorious lamb. He was not a martyr as some have maybe made him out to be. Jesus, a martyr is one that doesn't go willingly. A martyr is one that Jesus was not. We have many examples of martyrs in our Christian history. Polycarp, and in my Anabaptist faith foundation, people like Felix Manns and Michael Sattler. They too went to, uh, they were martyrs for their faith, and they said some of these same words, Father, I commend my spirit to you. But they went as martyrs, Jesus went as a victorious savior of the world. He laid in that borrowed tomb. It wasn't a long-term transaction. It was sort of like, I need an Airbnb for the night. Give me, give me a room to stay in for a little bit. It's temporary because I'm coming back. I'm raising myself up. In John 10, we read these words. These confirm the words or the, the thinking of Jesus, the, the way of Jesus. He's saying, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it back up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have, here you go, here's the key, I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it back up again. No one takes it from me. These are, these are the words of Jesus. No one takes it from him. He is willingly laying it down. We get access. We get to live in a place of victory. And we get to live with confidence. See, Jesus, when he says that I can dismiss, which I can commend, I commend my spirit, I can dismiss, he can also, you can live with confidence because he has your every breath in his hand. You are unstoppable. The scripture tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. You never have to be afraid of dying. Have you ever heard people, and maybe you are at that place where death is frightening, death is scary, and I'm telling you that God himself, represented in the body and life of Jesus, says you can live with confidence. You don't have to live in a place of fear. 2 Corinthians 5 reads like this. It says, so we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord, for we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be home with the Lord. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. For we must stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. So we are always confident, always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not home with the Lord. Remember to the thief at the cross. He filled that thief. I have to believe that thief was comforted in that moment. I have to believe that he was filled with confidence about his future. Today, he said, you will be with me in paradise. It's like opening day. It's all wide open to you. There is no place like home. 
No place like home. On the cross where sin is forgiven, Jesus gives and we get access. On the cross where the world is set right, Jesus wins and gives the victory to us. On the cross where God is fully revealed, Jesus dies and he dies with purpose and we have the confidence that his purpose is also fulfilled in us. I wonder if you feel at home. I wonder if you can say, yeah, there is no place like home. I have made my decision. I have stepped into a place that I call home. I have found my people. I belong. I wonder where you are with feeling at home in the presence of Jesus this morning. We've looked at six words from the cross. Father, forgive. That was the first word. It was a prayer. In it, Jesus prays for his executioners, revealing God's love as a forgiving love. He told the thief, today I will see you in paradise, answering a prayer. And he looked at his mom, and he looked at his friend John, and he gave them to each other. He's thinking about those in the middle of his pain. He was thinking about other people. That's a good lesson for us. The fourth word from the cross was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experienced abandonment so that you and I would never again experience abandonment. This again was a prayer. Last week we looked at the words, I thirst, I am thirsty. And this week, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. Father, I commend my spirit into your hands. Would you stand with me? On Skull Hill, we see the offer of redemption and the sacrifice of Jesus pointing us to the way home. I don't know if you've ever considered that Calvary, Golgotha, the place of the skull, is the place where we see this offer of life, giving. But that's where we see it because there's really no place like home, home where I am loved and whole and healed and forgiven. See, this is the nature of God made visible in Jesus. Paul writes in Philippians 2 that though Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a, in human form. I'm sorry, as human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven 
and on, under, and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's the thing, guys. There are certain things that are expected when we're part of a household. There are certain ways that we behave. There are certain methods that we use. And as part of the family, there are certain things that we do. Sometimes I wonder when we come into this space whether or not we are aware of the expectations. <laughs> when, we, um, when we started Restore, we were pretty intent on several things. And one of those was that we wanted a place where the non-believer, so if you're here this morning and you don't believe, this is a place where we want you to feel welcome, that we want you to feel at home. But I venture to guess as I look across all of you, as I connect with you guys online, someone within the sound of my voice this morning. Jordan talked about obligation or opportunity. Some of you are here under obligation this morning instead of looking for opportunity. We never want you to feel obligated. What we want you to do, what we want you to see, what we hope for you is that you realize the opportunity in front of you. The opportunity to step into not just pretension and not just coming out of an act of obligation, but coming to this space because you choose to follow Jesus. I know of no other life path that it is, is, is as valuable to me and many of you as this, not just an idea, but this lifestyle of following Jesus. There is no law against the fruit of the Spirit. When we live the way of Jesus, we live the way of Jesus, the Prince of Peace. We live the way of Jesus. We bring peace to chaotic situations. We are not the chaos. We are the peace that walks into the spaces we go into. This only happens if we say and act like Jesus. This does not happen when we follow our own human perspective, our own human thinking. It only happens when we step into relationship with Jesus. So I'm calling you to it this morning. If you have not come home, or if you're wondering what actually does that mean? 
I'm asking you to consider this morning the direction you're headed. Whether you are headed the direction that is full of life, full of blessing, and full of hard things, full of hardship, full of pain. Let's not be fooled. Following the way of Jesus is the way of the Via Della Rosa. It is not the easy way. But in America, this morning, so many of us have decided that, well, if I'm going to follow Jesus, then it's gotta be a cakewalk. It's not. Let me tell you, it is not. When you take a stand for Jesus, when you decide that I'm going to change my life, your life will become more difficult, I promise you. It is not an easy way. So I'm not making a very good sales pitch. Neither did Jesus. I want you to have life and to have it abundantly. I want you to have a life that is filled with promise. It is filled with purpose. I want you to have a life that is a plan that you can work it out. That you become like Jesus. That you see yourself in light of the cross this morning and live into the redemption that is already yours. You just gotta take it. You just gotta receive it. So I'm gonna ask you just to, let's just pray. Let's pray together. Father, all over the house, all of those online, God, I believe that there are many people in the house, many people online this morning that have not fully taken a step, maybe not taken a step at all in the direction of Jesus. And this morning, Father, I just pray blessing over the house. And I ask that you would do a dramatic work in the lives of these people where there is a mediocre spirit, I cast it out in the name of Jesus. Let it be gone. It must be gone because mediocrity does not, you're, that's not what you're calling us to. You're calling us to a life of holiness, a life where we measure the words we speak. We measure the actions we take. We don't live into every single moment with a terrible attitude. We come at it with your spirit in us. And so for all of you in the house, everybody online, I'm just going to, uh, I'm just gonna pray and I'm gonna ask you to just pray with me. And if this is your time to say yes to Jesus, then I'm just gonna tell you uh, these words, these words, simple words. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. If that's your prayer this morning, just simply repeat it after me. Jesus, I give you my life. It's as simple as that, and it's as hard as that, because giving your life is incredibly difficult. It is not a simple thing to do, because your spirit, your human spirit within you doesn't want to give your life up. Your human spirit within you will rebel against the idea of giving and surrendering your life to Almighty God, but that is the key to your freedom, that is the key to living into freedom. Not to live as you want to live, but to live as the Father calls you to live. Jesus, I give you my life. So Father, all over the room, you know those hearts that have been inclined towards you this morning, those hearts that have said yes to you.
I pray blessing over them. And I ask that you would bring fruit to their lives. Let them be fruitful and multiply. Let them speak words of grace that multiply and multiply and multiply. Father, I pray that the people of Restore would be people that would be known for the love and it's not cheap love, it is not cheap grace, but that we would be known as people who say yes to being people of love, to being people of grace. Thank you, Father, for this moment this morning. God, we're so grateful, grateful for your death and your resurrection and that we too live now because of your resurrection. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family. Thank you.